Hi, and welcome to Nice Jewish Fangirls, a podcast where three Orthodox women discuss all of the wonderfully nerdy things that we are obsessed with. My name is Michal Schick, and I'm your host, and I'm joined by my amazing co-hosts, Tamar Herman. Hello. And Essam Rosenberg. Hi. So today we're going to uh, discuss something that I came up with on the fly, uh, but I think is pretty appropriate for this time of year. Uh, for reference, we are recording... Uh, in the week between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So this episode will be out after Yom Kippur. And uh, we are going to be discussing the idea of setting as, a, you know, kind of jumping off the idea of sukkahs and the sukkah and being very grounded in, in one specific place. Uh, so we're going to move forward from that. Um, this week we are actually to start not going to do our current obsessions because we are going to kind of just take a minute and. Um, in honor of the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Supreme Court Justice, and just general Jewish badass, uh, we are going to say a few words about her. So, SM, if you want to take us away on that? Okay. Um, it's hard to know where to start, because um, honestly, I never quite understood exactly how Ruth Bader Ginsburg became the meme and cultural phenomenon that she became. Um, and it's only in recent years with like, there was a documentary, RBG, that I saw, and there was the um, the, the biopic movie that was um, starring Felicity Jones and Army Hammer. And that was called, I think, On the Basis of Sex. And it shows one of her... F- her first major uh, case that she appealed um, to the higher courts, um, I think all the way to the Supreme Court. I don't remember exactly all the details again, but um, it was about how she firstly was one of the very first women who went through Harvard um, at a time when women were very much not welcome. And the the dean of, of the school directly would ask the women, what makes you think you are you know, worth a man's spot in this school. And she had to put up with all kinds of things like that. Uh, and then her, her husband, Marty, got sick and she took his classes and her classes and managed to get top marks for both of them um, and had a baby at the same time. <laughs> it was like really, really uh, intense portion of her life where she just clearly just buckled down and by force of will got everything done. And then after that, unfortunately, people wouldn't hire a woman because it was still so new and so fresh and they were concerned about what the wives of the lawyers in their offices would think about having a female attorney in the office with all of these men. And there were just, yeah, unbelievable obstacles. And she eventually became a law professor because she couldn't get a job at an actual law firm, um, even though she had, you know, graduated top, top of her class at Harvard. And then, yeah, and her husband, Marty Ginsburg, who is portrayed in the movie by Army Hammer and is just an incredible mensch, just wonderful in how much he supports her and how much he understands what she's going through and how much he tries to understand more and how he maintains um, a sense of humor where uh, I think in the documentary it talks, she talks about how you know, she's a very serious person and he always managed to bring a bit of levity to whatever she was facing and uh, just life in general. And together they were just this perfect balance. And, yeah, and he worked as a tax attorney and he found a case, a, a tax law case, where someone was being discriminated against because he was a man, actually. 
And that got Ruth thinking that if she could argue that discrimination on the basis of sex that discriminated against a man was illegal and unconstitutional and unfair, then she might have a chance of paving the way for sex discrimination across the board. And yeah, you'll have to watch the movie because it's just really good. Um, and that was the beginning of her, uh, I guess, I, I don't think she'd been in court before. So that was like the beginning of her court litigation career. And ultimately, she took more of these cases and she and she ended up, you know, as you know, on the Supreme Court. And there she became famous for well, one of the most famous things that she became famous for was her dissenting opinions when uh, the majority would rule one way. But she would write these blistering, scathing dissents um, outlining why she thought that the others uh, were wrong or that the law was wrong. Um, and uh, yeah, she became well known for that. And her uh, her iconic lace collar that she would wear was known as her dissent collar because when they would come to announce a, a decision that she ha had dissented to, she would always wear that. Yeah. Do you guys have more specifics that you know about that you would want to um share as part of this tribute honestly i feel like kind of embarrassingly un underprepared for all this i mean i, I, was... <laughs> I literally two minutes before this episode i was like guys we should talk about rbg <laughs> no i know but it like i feel like you should do i like i should know more about her and i just like in general i i i hesitate in like knowing too much about political figures which is kind of silly because she's a supreme court justice so it's kind of like apolitical um but... well the whole politicization of the court is a whole other can right. of worms yeah um but i don't know i mean i just i think she's a really cool she she seems like an incredibly cool person and like a, a real human being who you know managed to actually change things which people kind of hope to do and don't always get to do so i don't know I, I mean her her passing is obviously significant for a lot of upsetting reasons um but that's that's definitely i mean her her loss is felt on i think a lot of different vectors and it's important to appreciate that um i think mm -hmm. i think one thing uh which is interesting about rbg is is Michal touched on it. He said, the, like, why she's so cool. And I think at a time when, like, when we don't really have, I don't want to say politicians who are inspiring, but politicians who, who I guess, are aspiring. Like, every every young politician who you align your pol political views with, or there are older ones, if that's your if that's your thing, if you're into the old the old folks in American politics. Um, RBG kind of was more like she's a go-getter and she's a dissenter. And this generation, I feel like, really kind of relates to that as someone who's like part of the establishment. But a lot of people, like I feel like a lot of people just kind of like hype her up as a dissenter, which she definitely was. But uh, it just kind of feel, it always felt like to me, it was like people's attempt at engaging with politics at a time when politics seems so like overwhelming and everything, but she was, you know, almost reliable in the way that she views viewed the law and like in the way she projected herself, you know, she worked out, she wore her lace collar, she was an individual, she was kind of quirky, she was, you know, 
doing her thing. She had a sweatshirt that said super diva. Yeah, like, I think, <laughs> I think, I mean, that came after, like, that came as part of, like, the whole cult of RBG. But I just think, like, people need modern, like, real-life superheroes. And she seemed, like, when she seemed like someone who's larger than life, like, she even, you know, could cross political lines because she didn't, um, you know, she was supposed to be a neutral, apolitical person and and unlike you know some other supreme court justices it actually for some to some degree felt like that to at least the people who like her um probably not people who don't like her but um (laughs) but it just i feel um and also i mean just i feel like it's a big i was it felt like such a big loss when i heard about her passing because i heard i think i don't know if you guys heard about it before i don't know if it happened before we heard about it someone from like uh i don't want to say like our shul because synagogue was closed, but they like had a backyard tent um, services that my dad went to. And he came back and he said he heard from someone. And I just remember thinking like, what a terrible way to start the new year. Like, I'm I'm honestly like, part of me was honestly relieved because it felt so burdensome to her. Like, so many people were putting like all the pressure on this poor Bubby, who like, <laughs> who like should have retired. And she just if she she knew if she stepped down, it'd be uh, a mess so she just stayed at it while she was you know battling so much illness and she must have been so it must have been so hard even before she got sick and before she passed away I don't know if she passed away from her she was battling cancer right but I don't know if it was related or what I actually I didn't read anything yeah, I didn't look into the cause of I mean, death it was officially pancreatic like cancer mm. but obviously you know yeah who knows um so it just kind of I mean in the age of corona who knows but it just kind of felt like it was such a loss like not that there aren't you know, people, good people in powerful places nowadays. I, I want to hope that there are are good people in powerful places nowadays and people with power who are good, but it just, not even goodness, but it felt like someone who you could look up to, like she was larger than life, like super diva. And um, especially as like a Jewish woman, I obviously like, I, I don't think she was practicing in any regard, but in the, in the documentary, like her, her granddaughter called her Bubby. Like she's still, I, I think a lot of, I've been thinking a lot about cultural Jewishness in, in media. And I know RBG is not like in media, but the representation of her in media is how most people know her. And I just keep on think going back to like, I really hate certain things that people are saying about her as if like, she's this like, regular American white woman, politi- like political figure. And it's just like, she is not like her background is that she's Jewish. I'm sure she never, you know, no Jew who I mean, no Jew who's not like, sorry, if anybody's listening to this podcast who likes him, Ben Shapiro. Um, I'm really sorry. For I'm trying really you, to hard to like not to not be political because the Supreme Court isn't supposed to be political. And I don't want to like say like she's like a bastion of uh, Democratic Party or something. She's she wasn't. But um, I just feel like just really it was always really inspiring to me as a Jewish woman to see somebody doing so much, not necessarily even good, but have take so much um, action in a world where so much, I feel like I'm a paranoid Jew. Like I am so paranoid and so anxious all the time. Like, I feel like I'm like, since I was little, I've always been looking over my shoulder, like, where would I go if the Nazis rose to power in this country? Like, where would I hide? Would I be able to trust this friend? Like, I don't know if other Jews do that, but I do. And, and like seeing someone rise to like the upper echelons of, uh, echelons, echelons. I don't know how to pronounce that. Word, echelons. Actually. I think Thank it's you. echelons. Thank you. Um, <laughs> it's the fancy like, soft ch. Yes. Oh, good to know. Um, so, like, seeing someone rise to that and like have so much power to the point that people are literally praying for her not to die. Like, 
there's something inspiring about that and I'm kind of really sad about the debate that popped up after her death and the way that like she's being respected or totally disrespected but I don't know anything about her wishes so good for her I hope it's just what she wants um but I just I just felt like a little part of me like not god forbid died that day but like a little spark fizzed out because all I was thinking was and America loses yet another like inspiring Jew of power and now we're just left with like the total dirtbags and Christians. Well there is Elena Kagan is one of the other Supreme Court justices True. and she is in fact Jewish as well. I know but is, like which I is feel nice, like but she doesn't have the same iconic history. Yeah I was gonna say she, I don't feel like I, I don't feel like her um like public identity is defined by her jewishness or maybe it is and i just am unaware of that but i just feel like rbg is such a larger than life like jewish figure it really i felt i felt like sitting down and just like sighing sadly (laughs) you know i think like something something you said kind of like made me think of this which is that like you know we we think of things as being very dark right now like don't get me wrong they are extremely dark but like RBG was coming up when, like, it was literally, you know, like, women weren't full humans in the United States, you know? And, like, that was just the institutional reality, yeah. Yeah. And so now it's like, you know, me, you know, but she could see beyond that and and still manage to, like, not only change things, but but just, like, achieve, you know, positions that, that were barely possible. So, I don't know, maybe that's what we can kind of take forward in that, like, not not to deny the reality of how crappy things feel and are and and whatever but to kind of you know be like rbg must have been in darkness also and like she managed to to fight through it yeah i mean she's inspiring yeah. and and none of this is to say that she's perfect no, oh no of course no. Not. i know like, like there are things you know obviously people bring out you know questionable rulings that she made and things like that obviously people are going to bring that out and i also remember i remember reading um an interview with her that i thought was very interesting where she talked about you know how like you should never you know raise your voice in an argument because as soon as you do that you lose and it's a fair point and like i can definitely see where she's coming from in her perspective but there's also you know the element of tone policing and the things like that you know that like obviously we don't have to agree with her on every single issue um to agree that she was um an incredible inspiring person who truly lived her ideals and that is uh exactly how we hope that she will be remembered yeah, and I, I, I'll say also, like, you know, it's okay if people aren't perfect, because nobody's perfect. <laughs> like, I don't want her to be perfect. She would probably be a really boring movie if she yeah, was totally right? perfect. <laughs> I really liked also in the movie, in the movie, uh, I don't know so much about the, I don't remember in the documentary if this was touched on, but in the movie it shows that, like, her daughter, who was raised in a much more, you know, feminist society was willing to take steps that she herself was holding back on and she was inspired by her own daughter um to to do certain things and to move forward on certain things um so it's like you know she built this incredible legacy and it's up to you know the rest of us to build on it um yeah i definitely agree definitely we're all not perfect heaven only knows that uh but if you are interested I, obviously, I haven't read it yet because it, it, they're just looking for someone to write it right now. But um, Bitch Media, if you guys are into it, I like their content. Even if I disagree with a lot, some of it, a lot of it, actually, uh, they're looking for someone <laughs> to cover RBG's legacy from 
the like the not so positive narrative. So I don't know what the article is going to look like, or if there can be more than one article. Um, but they they're trying to be um, thoughtful and and address why people have issues with her, especially along like racial uh, lines and stuff. So uh, I think it'll be an interesting piece for sure. Maybe we'll all disagree with it, but who knows? Um, so yes, yeah, so I just I I, I I kind of part of me feels. Like, because her passing was around Rosh Hashanah, like, I missed a lot of the dialogue. <laughs> and um, so I just kind of... Oh, honestly, I was so happy to miss the dialogue. I was I was just like... It's still going. Honestly, on. thank God. I was... I, I found out... So I, I went to an outdoor minion, and it was, sidebar, super weird, because my show usually finishes at, like, 2.30, and we were out the first day before <laughs> noon, and I Same. was like, I, I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so then we got home and opened the paper and it was like, oh my God. Um, but I was just actually really relieved to not have to go through like the social media cycle of all that. Um, because it goes, it was, it goes so fast that it was basically done in a day. And like, you know, by the time we all got on online that the next night, people, you know, it was kind of the, it was the, it was the Jewish round, you know, the people had been offline who were, who were writing things, but I think (laughs) everyone else had kind of cycled through. Mm-hmm. their their emotions and their you know the the oh she was terrible oh she was perfect oh she, and maybe she was somewhere in between etc mm-hmm. and yeah. then it was like old news by the time we got there yeah i didn't find out until after because i don't uh follow the news on shabbos or yuntif or um so i just had no idea until afterwards and like yeah that sucked and i was like i remember i my my reaction was just like i feel like i can't process how terrible this is because it's just too massive like there are just so many things that we're riding on rbg not just you know you know our personal you know hopes and dreams and whatever but like um for the country and the justice system and all of that stuff and like we don't know how this is going to play out and like i just you know can't even process it from that degree um, so it's it's good to I guess uh, talk about it at least from a you know personal level without all of that. Yeah, no, very much so. Yeah, but thank you for bringing that up, SM. That I think was a, a really good conversation. And if um, other people shockingly know more about this than we do, um, feel free to get in touch and share any thoughts that you would like to share. Um, I don't know if RBG was a nerd, but she was a legal nerd, so that that counts. <laughs> all right so she was, not, she was an opera she was an opera nerd oh that's right she and scalia used to go to the opera together right so that weird was... <laughs> such a, it's such like another generation it's such like aside from the fact that like i can't imagine going to like the opera with my like my peer my rival peer my you know that i don't know if either of you know about the nemesis. but they were friends i, I know yeah, I no, they were bros but also arch enemies i don't understand yeah yeah um, no, i'm just like fascinated by that dynamic and i don't think i'll ever understand it yeah but opera of all things not gonna bond with my nemesis over that <laughs> well it brings the drama i guess <laughs> <laughs> well speaking of bringing drama to fiction i don't know I'm yes to segue this well you can't have drama in fiction unless you have a place to have the drama happen in so <laughs> yeah so let's talk about setting um again i i kind of brought this up because i was thinking about kind of our past episodes and i don't think we've done a like Sukkis related episode in the past. We're usually kind of serious around this kind of year and talk a 
talking about like redemption and 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 you know, repentance and, and all that kind of thing exactly um which are all very important topics and you should totally go back and listen to our previous episodes because i'm actually quite proud of they them they were really good we they were really good. really good um but i was thinking that like sukkis is actually or sukkot is one of those holidays is actually one of the few holidays that is kind of very specifically building based like location based like obviously you know you have holidays where you know people would go up to you know jerusalem and and um, to the Beta Mikdash and and offer sacrifices, pilgrimage, and, and exactly. Um, but but not so much staying in a place, right? But like you, in this, you're kind of transforming, you know, your normal circumstances into uh, a specific um, place. And anyway, that got me thinking about setting. Um, and yeah, I, I, I it was really interesting when I brought it up because both SM and Tamara were kind of like they didn't. They you guys mentioned that you didn't have. Um, like, you didn't connect to setting as much as, like, a factor of storytelling, um, which I found really interesting, because I, maybe it's just because of what I've been reading lately, but it's been kind of very, the location has kind of, in, like, um, interested me and, and been sort of an important part of the story. Um, but I, I, that is honestly one of my favorite things, like, to to really get, be able to get lost in a place and to, to find character in, in a location um and that is obviously something that you know people try and do with their with their sukkahs they you know we decorate them we kind of invest them with our our personalities uh although not as much uh, in my case as on Purim when it's like a theme and everything is crazy um thank goodness because that's nice to not have to stress about having a theme for your sukkah um this is this is my life. Oh, good. We're not doing a theme for this thing. Okay, cool. People doing that is. I'm sorry, sure there are people it. who do this, but we are not them. That is, and that is epic, and I fully appreciate and honor that. But yeah, um, but yeah. So, how, what did you guys? What are you, your guys' initial thoughts on setting? Well, well, I think that setting also. I think it depends how you define setting because. To me, the interesting things about setting, again, are not the physical location, but I think that time is a very big element of setting, as is the rules of the universe in which your characters are functioning. So, like, you know, world building is very important to me in a lot of the books that I read, like... um you know, Brandon Sanderson has lots of great world building and, you know, magic systems and things like that. And that's part of the setting, but it's not so much the location part of the setting. Well, I was going to I was going to I was going to mention him because of the, the 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 novella where he like brings a like like Shabbos into it. And like you can't like fire like when you're too like what is it when you're too near the forest i don't know if you've read that one i have to look up the name i haven't read that one no. oh it's so it's like but like that's the um if you're not familiar with brandon sanderson each of his books or book series ha- takes place on a different but connected world um or planet and so one of them shoot what's it called hold on i'm just gonna google quickly um just, um oh, sorry it's called the shadows for silence in the forest of hell cool yeah it's pretty good i think i have it on my phone i might be able to share it with you but it's like uh essentially like the i think i read somewhere that like he he took it from the idea of like not being able to like use fire on on shabbos and sabbath if you're uh, like a seventh day adventist and so i'm like when we're when you just mentioned that sanderson i was just thinking like in his world it's world building but the setting impacts every single like world 
that he is building. Like, if you don't have, like, for whatever reason, the forest, you can't, you know. I don't know if it's you can't light fire or you can't speak. Something. I have to reread this. I'm really sorry for anyone who's listening to this. It's like, tomorrow you're so, like, why are you talking about this thing so you don't wrong. remember? <laughs> I'm like, I don't remember it. Just let me live. Um, but yeah, I remember. No, in, in one of his other books, mm-hmm. um, Elantris is, I think, his debut novel. Oh, I love that book. Um, everything, like, the the main action takes place within this sealed part of the city where mm-hmm. all of the diseased people go and are building their own society from the inside. Well, I think um, in like all his books now that I'm like thinking about this more, because of course SM and me and I were like to Michal, no, we don't care about setting at all. Um, but Sanderson's <laughs> Sanderson's books, like the worlds, so each world, the like the magic that's happening in each one is defined by its specific setting, like. Um, the uh wow i need more coffee um like so many like (laughs) i have i actually have calls i have calls until like 1 a.m but yeah so mistborn like the metals (laughs) but then you learn it's because of the like the i'm not gonna give spoilers but you learn eventually that like the metals have to do with the environment and the way that people engage with the environment and um and the magic environment it's not just that simple it's not just like global warming has made us all magical although yeah, he does have a series that's about like colonialism and and colonial don't colonize people because you're also the bad people even if you think you're not um but yeah settings michael it was a good point because apparently i have a lot to say about settings that i didn't think i did no i think that's really cool because i think i i honestly had been thinking more along the like standard like like setting you know as location lines but i really like that idea that like it's it's also you know world building and 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 the structures of the world that are coming together you know to to create um the 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 setting the atmosphere that you're in um i'm trying to think i mean i I, oh sorry no no go ahead i wanted to ask a question do you guys when you're reading books like do you physically like in your mind do you imagine the pictures of like what the characters are doing I'm very bad at mental visualization Same. of specifics, so not usually. Um, it depends on the writing style, because sometimes if the writing style is grounded in other senses, um, like Jonathan Lethem, I haven't read that much of his work, but and I haven't necessarily liked the stuff that I read, but he has a gift for grounding everything in very vivid sense memory you know like uh like you can you know you can imagine the smells and the and the taste of the air you know and the things like that and it just makes me want to incorporate more of that into my own writing when i read it even if i don't like his stories um i was i was just wondering if if maybe michal like you do perceive like settings in your mind in your like mind's eye whereas sm and i don't because i don't either but i was just curious about that yeah i mean that's an interesting point maybe it definitely isn't everything but now that i'm like thinking back on it i probably certainly books that mean a lot to me or that are very involving um so i think one one of the reasons that i um that i brought this up is because i i just finished reading a book called piranesi by Susanna clark is the author of um, Jonathan Strange oh, and Jonathan Mr. Strange and Mr. Norell. Yeah. Oh, someone just told me that about that doorstop. Is it yeah? Good? So it's hilarious uh, I, because Piranesi is like a slim. Like I don't even think it's three hundred pages. It's, it's really oh, short. Oh, good. I It'll get to the action a lot faster. My that friend way. just told me to read it, and I was like, I think I'm gonna pass, but <laughs> maybe not. Well, Jonathan Strange, I just remember being like five hundred pages of setup, and then like three hundred pages of payoff, and I was just like, the setup just took forever. 
Well, it's actually interesting because I would actually say that the setup of Jonathan Strange is all world building and like she puts you it, in that. It is, and it's an, it's somewhat necessary, but also it's so long and so draggy. <laughs> no, it is, but but that's kind of the only similarity I think that I would that I would put between Piranesi and um and Good. Jonathan Strange is that <laughs> is that idea that like setting is important you no know, and the and the the conjuring of setting because the whole point Piranesi is about a, a character who lives in a in an un, in a kind of an endless house that's full of halls um and it has a sea trapped in the in the heart of the um the halls and and it's extremely physically evocative and it's it's full of statues and everything is is really described um you know very kind of um quickly and and well not quickly but you, you know what i mean succinctly um but really really evocatively and that when you said that um SM, that kind of just made me think that that that's really the um i guess the spiritual link between those two stories is the amount of world is is the world building but in much but but the volume of it is considerably different uh i was reading the piranesi uh bio blurb after my friend told me to look into it i'm not particularly interested in it maybe maybe it's an outstanding book and just the blurb didn't resonate with me michael please tell me if it is amazing um but i i don't know if you i don't think you watch doctor who uh michael but once you if you finish the book you should watch a certain episode uh i think it was two seasons ago where the doctor kind of gets stuck in like it's a totally standalone episode barely has to do with anything else in the season and um he he's like locked in a house on his own forever and it's like he's stuck in a time loop running around this house um and it's just very uh, i guess when you even though i don't really think of settings in books that episode was very impactful even though the setting was pretty much doctor is locked somewhere without getting able to get out and he's gonna do his thing by himself which like the whole thing is he's usually talking to people and he's usually haha he's so funny um but he was kind of like almost like losing his mind stuck in one setting um, well i mean i think that's actually a good point because I think it's actually, it's really hard to pull off setting as its own thing, right? Like, it, it Piranesi is is a literary novel, um, and I would recommend reading it, because, again, it, it won't take you very long. I, I read it in basically a day, uh, and I think both of you guys read faster than I do, but um, it does very much, like, rely on the evocativeness of the story and the voice of the character. Mm-hmm. But that voice of the character is really what I think in other stories um, either, I don't know, either redeems or like adds to or makes worthwhile a a setting for, for most books. So like cool. usually it's not that it's it, the setting is is the thing, you know, like I think like I think of like television, television relies a lot in a lot of ways on setting and evoking setting and and both in the location and in the like world kind of way but like my favorite kind of episode of television is a bottle episode where they don't go anywhere and they are stuck (laughs) in a place and just have to talk all the time and figure you know and share their feelings and solve the problem by sharing their feelings (laughs) um and you know and that that would be i would say that the location would be important in that sense that like there has to be some you know reasonable reason why they can't leave the place that they're in but that but the the story comes from the characters and you know i mean it's i'm actually now struggling to think of a story that that wouldn't use um setting to facilitate character although i'm sure in the annals of wonderful literary novels out there that are very boring there are certainly some 
Well, I'm not not necessarily that, but like the bottle episode, like you're talking about, I feel like the setting is is a plot device, but the setting actually doesn't matter because like the idea is that it, they're stuck somewhere. So, um, mm. so like the the characters matter in that case more than the setting itself. Like it could be a room, like they're in, like I keep on. I don't did, did Firefly. There's have? an episode of Babylon Five where it's just the the hero, the protagonist, uh, the captain, and he's been captured and he's being interrogated, and that's the whole forty minutes. Um, and it's. It's pretty intense. There's like some people really, really love that episode. So in that case, the setting does matter because he's like in a prison. But like I was thinking, I don't think they had one, but I keep on imagining Firefly having a bottle episode in my head. And like they, they would sort just, of do. They sort. I guess they. I like have to watch it again. But the one I I'm think imagining, is out of gas. I think that's the. Oh one. yeah, but like so like that. that I don't know is, if that counts though. So I mean, that's what I was gonna say. It's like it, it achieves the same thing as a bottle episode where they're stuck in one place and not interacting with anyone besides the characters like that you like uh, I keep on thinking this is not a bottle episode but did either of you watch Community? I haven't. Uh, I've watched some of it but not all of it and I don't think I got up to the bottle episode. Well I don't know if it's a bottle episode but I think it's a bottle episode. The the gif of like um uh what's his name coming into the room where it's on fire and holding the boxes of pizza. Yeah, <laughs> Donald Glover. <laughs> yes, Donald Glover. Thank you. Um, he like that's from an episode where they uh, repeat a bunch of different scenarios based on like the toss of a dice. And for that one, like the setting only matters as in that they're playing a game, and the dice becomes the the episodic like tool. But it doesn't matter to me if the setting was like it happens to be the setting is in somebody's apartment, but it could have also been happening at the community college. So I think in those type of cases. If you could shift the, like, obviously there's some experiential stuff going on that the plot has that, but if you could switch the same exact situation to another locale in the same universe, then the setting in that case doesn't, like, define a scene. But I think, like, obviously the whole plot of community is that it takes place in a specific setting, which is a community college community. And so... Um, so I guess that's pretty specific, but I feel like there are times time loop episodes, time loop episodes by themselves as, as a genre are like time They're that the time is the setting. Mm -hmm. Um, there was a great legends of tomorrow one where like one of the characters is trapped in a time loop and they were like, well, it was about time this happened, I guess. (laughs) Um, That show just loves making fun of itself so much. I love it. I don't even watch it, but I don't. And she spends the whole time just like trying to figure out how to break the loop, but in, in the process, she goes into, you know, everybody else's, you know, private places that normally she wouldn't end up, you know, and uh, finds out all these things about the other, you know, people on the ship and, uh, you know, learns lessons about, you know, fitting in and teamwork and whatever. But uh, it's it's great. Uh, but, like, it could be, like, if they were in a house rather than in a spaceship, it could be the same thing, you know? So the, I think there's a difference there between, like, setting as pretext and setting as setting i guess you know like that there's Mm -hmm. like if it matters you know where a story takes place or not um i have i i'm totally down with episodes that like or stories that are just like this happens to take place in xyz because it is convenient for the story but the real issue is you know the 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 characters and the the plot that they're coming out of that um that they're taking out of that um but you know i think sometimes like that is there's a fine line between those things and like sometimes it gets a little blurry so like i there's an episode of agents of shield if we're you know throwing out um tv shows that we enjoy time loop Um, on agents of shield so there is a time loop on agents of shield i wouldn't say that the setting is particularly significant in that case 
in that i mean it's just like it's it's the building they're getting closer and closer to death (laughs) right exactly but that's very much i think like as a convenient you know as as a staging point for the episode um but there's another episode that um basically just features two characters and they are stuck in a in a virtual simulation um in where a lot of it is literally just white like they're just in a white area um and like there is some like you know tension around that because it's like dangerous for them to be there and whatever um and the you know they end up kind of conjuring places from their from their memories um and i love it it's one of my favorite episodes but i think kind of what that one does is kind of i think it speaks really nicely to the way locations can like play into character and impact character and returning to a to a significant emotional location can repeat or or trigger other emotional events um and that's like that's something that i i I really like too and that it's not necessarily that like this place is particularly evocative for the audience or significant or whatever um but it's important to the characters for specific reasons and and that to me kind of i mean i i I like that also because I think it's just very human. You know, I think, like, we all have, like, places in our lives, like, whether it's, like, the backseat of your parents' car or, like, you know, like, every time the sukkah goes up in my in my backyard, it's like, oh, I've never left. We're here again. <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> just a segue, like, SM, what do you think of when you see, like, the sukkah coming up? Like, I feel like the sukkah is a rare, like you said, Michal, at the beginning, like, a rare point of physical setting that like at least um, observant Jews do like which is very different from most of what we do which is very like uh, not external like most I mean most most holidays have some physical trappings but like this is usually center around the synagogue more than Mm -hmm. they center around any other location or like food Um, (laughs) (laughs) so so I guess when (laughs) when you see like a sukkah what do you guys think of like what setting does it or what, um, like, I don't know, emotional or physical setting does it make you consider? Yeah, when I see my family's sukkah, it's like, every year it's slightly different, because usually something went wrong the previous year, and the sukkah doesn't go back together quite the same way. <laughs> so, so it just, it's you so know, true. it brings back memories of all the all the previous, you know, iterations of the sukkah, and, you know, whether this one will finally give out, and we'll have to, you know, get some other kind of new fangled sukkah next year. <laughs> for, for me... Uh, definitely, I relate to that. I always think of how many times I've had to build it with my dad because my brother hasn't. And uh, but I always uh. think, but it's always around my birthday or just after my birthday, depending on how early the holidays are. So like for me, it always reminds me of like my favorite season, which is autumn, and also my birthday, which sometimes is a great thing and usually a terrible thing. Birthdays are terrible. Like nobody tells you that when you get a like become an adult, it just becomes this thing. Like you have to throw a party, or maybe you don't, and maybe you have to tell people it's your birthday. I mean, I I am doing you. you I do the best parties you do okay because i i i am owning you know my you know my preferences because when i was a child i wanted to have a reading party where we could just you know sit around and read books and eat cake and my mom was like no you're gonna have a real party (laughs) and i was like why and so now for the past six years i've been having um and my birthday is on simchat torah which is technically not sukkot anymore so you don't have to have it in the sukkah but it's i would invite friends over and they would give me books 
and I would give them back books that they had lent me the previous year, and they tell me why I should read their books, and then uh, we eat cake, and then they go home. <laughs> we read. There's a reading hour. Everybody comes in. Nobody has to small talk because small talk is the worst. So you get to. Sit, everybody just comes in, starts reading, uh, read for an hour. And then when reading time is up, then we can have some, you know, catching up and conversation and food and social times. And then everybody goes home. Remember that? Um, and I end <laughs> up with lots of books. And it's fantastic. Um, and this year, we're going to, you know, I've done in the past where I've done, you know, when my mental health was suffering, I've had like virtual where I said, you know, you can send me books, but nobody's allowed to come and see me. So now <laughs> this, uh, this, this party, I, uh, I titled it on Facebook and I invited people to it. I was like, SM's you know, stay the fuck away from me annual reading party. <laughs> and that is, <laughs> and that is the official title of the event. And then people are welcome to send me books if they want. I have an Amazon wish list. <laughs> um, and yeah, so like, yeah, so my birthday is also around this time is what I'm saying. And uh, I don't have negative associations with it because I, I'm forcing the universe to bend to my will. <laughs> I don't have negative associations. I love this season. I'm just saying I like it. I have stressful associations with birthdays because I get stressed out if people are going to show up for my birthday or not. So I just don't plan birthday parties. And then every year I feel guilty about it. Yeah, yeah. mine's in the summer. Nobody ever knew when it was and nobody cared. No. <laughs> but to, to go back to what you're saying about the Sukkot Tamar, I, I, I think that's a really interesting point because, like, I mean, there, there certainly are rituals during... The, you know, the Jewish calendar that, that, that echo that feeling. But I think there's also, you know, like a transitional nature to obviously like the harvest and, mm -hmm. and, um, Sukkot being that, that style festival, um, that really, it really does evoke kind of a, a sense of change, I think. And like, okay, can I interrupt to be really obnoxious and, and relate this all to COVID? Sure. Sure. <laughs> Sorry. My favorite topic, please. <laughs> Just, I don't please, know. Dvartora away. Please. I don't know if you guys are Darshan this. I don't know in Queens what the like the setup is for like outdoor seating, but I was in Midtown by like uh, K Town a few weeks ago, and I was just struck by how it looked like there was like a hundred sukkahs just lighting the streets. And now that you mentioned that sukkahs are like you know they're transformative, there is about a period of change. Like I'm just like COVID is a period of change. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but we don't know when it's going to end. The best part about Sukkot is that you know that like it's only for a few days, and then you can go back inside where it's warm and there are no bees. <sighs> That's the truth. Sukkot is either hot and bees or cold. There is no in between. <laughs> you never get you never get perfect weather for Sukkot, except like maybe one day is perfect. There's like one day, and then it's like okay, this is not so bad, and then everything sucks again. Listen, at least we're like not in like I don't know UK. Yeah, I mean there are places where they really suffer for Sukkot, and uh, yeah, it's it's not that bad on our East Coast location. Um, but um, yeah, no, I I. I I think about, you know, kind of locate like story locations that evoke similar feelings for me. And I think, you know, I mean, like I do have to say like Hogwarts is definitely one of them, mm. you know, that that comes up for me when I when I think of setting. I think a lot of people have commented on how um, Hogwarts is a character, you know, in Harry yeah. Potter as, as much as it is a setting. 
Um, I mean, I've been, I haven't reread it, but I've been listening to a lot of people of my friends like do podcasts about Lord of the Rings recently. Mm. And that the idea of that world also being, uh, you know, it's, it's like the Shire and like just so obviously helped by the, helped by the movies, but so deeply realized, you know, that it, it kind of couldn't take place anywhere else, even though like elements of that story have been transplanted, um, into other like stories and you know orcs and elves and, and stuff I just like that. I just read the Silmarillion for the first time. Uh, well, sorry, <gasps> that's for the, news. Oh, it was a while ago. Um, it was a while ago. You, did you tweet at Colbert about it? I did not. He'll be I very excited. I should have. Um, I actually read it. I started reading it a while ago and I couldn't get into it. And then, um, well, I read it a really long time ago because I read it not a really long time. I read it when I was in London in March. So I read it over a Shabbos when I was stuck in a hotel. So it was, I, it was like, it's like a, such a slow read that I figured I could only read it if I'm trapped in a room by myself for a weekend. Bottle episode featuring Tamar. <laughs> As you sometimes are when you're a observant, Sabbath observing Jew and you have a work trip that like coincides with the weekend. I actually, I wasn't, I wasn't stuck in it the whole weekend. The thing I was there for was actually on Saturday, but I was there the whole Friday night by myself. Um, so I read it and I, I remember being so struck by the, the, the world building, which like Lord of the Rings has so much world building, but this is like, this is literally him writing how the world of that I consider the world of Lord of the Rings is built. Like, it's like, First there was this, and then there was this, and then this happened, and then the drama happened, and also there are angels, and then there are not angels, but they're elves, but maybe they're not. And, like, all this stuff, like, suddenly made sense, and I was just like, what? Like, I can see all this, which is really complex, like, literally world-building. Like, this is, like, his own little Bible, like, Bereshik, and it's just like, I can now think so much better about this world, because I understand certain things now, but I can only understand it, because I now understand the world that he built is based off of this world that he's the the world that he's sorry the world that he's talking about in Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit are the world that he's literally showing you he's how he's building it and I don't know if that made sense as I just said that but I just know it, it did such, yeah. it reminds just, me of the magician's nephew a bit um although the magician's yeah. nephew doesn't go like all the way to the beginning it goes to the beginning of Narnia but it all it you know it shows you like how Narnia was built but it doesn't necessarily show you how all of the things that built Narnia were built. This is literally a Brashy Barayalukim situation in the Silmarillion. Like, literally, it's like <laughs> Genesis. It's like, first there was nothing, and then there was everything. Um, it's, not, <laughs> it's not quite like that, but it is like that. And I just don't remember being so, like, shocked. It was just like, nobody does it like him. Like, people do, but, like, it, it just, it was so interesting because... You know, like how Hogwarts, like a lot of people consider it it's his home, Hogwarts is a character, but it's kind of shocking to me that you mentioned Lord of the Rings because I feel like Middle Earth is a very defined place, but at the same time, if you were just like, oh, it's another random fantasy world, like that's fine. Like I imagine, not to bring up Michal's least favorite author ever, but I want to reference him, so I'm going to bring him up now so that I can reference him in a second, Patrick Rothfuss. Um, like his, <laughs> his world and... Lord of the Rings, like the Middle Earth, are very different worlds. But like, if you picked up Legolas and was like, he's now in this one, and if you picked up both and put him in, like, they could still figure out like the same fantasy sort of world where magic and music exist together. Um, and there's drama and evil lords. This is why I think that fan fiction really makes interesting use of setting mm -hmm. because, like, you've got your limited source material and you've got you know your characters. 
And then, like, fanfic tends to be all about how much can we take, can we stretch this, and we can take this character or these two characters and their dynamic and shove them into, like, literally any other possible world and see what happens. Um, fanfic is kind of you're either playing with the characters or you're playing with the setting. It's like either or. Yeah, I mean, like, sometimes you diverge from, right, like, right. you know, the, the storyline and it's in the same setting. Um, but then it's like, I guess people feel like, you know, there's only so much you can do <laughs> after, you know? And so, like, then they, you know, will either go back in time and rewrite everything. Um, <laughs> or <sense>. they, <laughs> there's so much right now of, like, people are not happy with, you know, how, uh, how Avengers Endgame played out. And they're just like, I really? want to go back to 20, I, this is, uh, this is an interesting thing about the fandom is that, like, they all really liked, you know, they wanted to have, you know, superheroes twenty in twenty twelve in in you know the Avengers Tower just living as a happy family. You know, mm-hmm. we never really got that in in the actual MCU. So yeah. like, there is a lot of fandom that just dwells in that happy place, which I love. I thought you were going to um, say it was like I, a Stucky situation, but no, it's just they want everyone to. Have oh, I mean, there's 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 lots of reasons that people didn't like the movie. <laughs> I don't care, but because <laughs> I love the movie, and it's probably one of the re. It's it's pretty much straight up the reason that I got into the online fandom in the first place. Yeah, but yeah, so like people go back to, you know, an earlier point where things hadn't gotten, you know, messed up or people just are like, screw this universe, I'm going to put them in space. And there are some really fun space AUs and there's also all sorts of, you know, they do them in medieval and also comics have a lot of, you know, reboots and um and differences along, you know, they basically, you know, comics are <laughs> possibly the only difference between comics and fanfic is that comics have less regard for continuity than fanfic writers. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, sometimes. And, yeah, and they'll just, like, they'll, they just, you know, reboot them and put them in, like, a totally different setting. Like, there's a, um, there's a whole noir series where, like, um, I guess it takes place, I guess, in the, around World War Two and... Tony Stark is is iron is the Iron Man, but it's not like sleek and futuristic. I mean, it's futuristic for that time, but like it functions totally differently, and his origin story is different. And yeah, and Captain America is 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 different, and like there are just like so many things that that comics have done, and then like fanfic just you know takes it up to you know dials it up to eleven. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like you you read the summary you know on a fan you know on when you're scrolling through you know and like. It's just like sometimes everything just feels like it's all the same stuff, and then you hit upon like somebody threw them into like I don't know. They're this character is now you know an aviator, and this character is a supermodel, and it's like wait, I haven't read this version yet. <laughs> Let's do that one. Well, that, I mean, yeah. that opens a whole conversation about what settings allow characters to do, right? Like, and mm-hmm. you know, you, you couldn't have um, it would it, well, I mean, I guess you could, but like it it wouldn't really make sense for. I don't know, somebody to be an astronaut necessarily if it wasn't a space or NASA related, you know, story, um, which is an interesting note about the Umbrella Academy because they managed to completely disregard that and have the story be whatever. And then all the characters are still whatever they are. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think there's a lot to say about this. Um, I'm actually really grateful that you guys kind of expanded the definition beyond what I was thinking, because it was definitely a little more on the narrow side. Um, but yeah, any 
Any last thoughts on uh, on setting? Uh, well, I wanted to talk about my favorite usage of setting that I also don't like, but also that I just wanted to kind of annoy me hollow with. Um, <laughs> please. Always a good cause. <laughs> which is the slow regard <laughs> of silent things by Patrick Rothfuss, which... Oh, I read that one. You're it's... allowed to like Patrick Rothfuss. So I actually it's don't fine. enjoy this. I don't enjoy this. I I mean, I think that he... I have... I. He has enjoyable elements of his stories, but this book is a it's a style, it's a uh, standalone novella about one of the char- side characters who is very interesting and very important. She lives in the tunnels. Her name is Ari. Um, I like her a lot in the book. I I found the the this the slow regard of silent things is literally about the slow regard of silent things, and it's kind of like showing her life. Um, she is literally a tunnel dweller, and so it's a lot about the setting and how she lives under this university and stuff. And um, I think it's interesting because it's it's like the whole point of it is to show her perspective and how she engages with um, the world in this setting of hers that is like hers alone. Like other people don't. Yeah. Do you want to? Do you yeah, and it's about also about like how she imbues the physical objects mm-hmm. around her with meaning that like nobody else would understand because it's all in her in her mind and what you know significance all of these things have and she gets you know really invested in certain uh i guess artifacts or just stuff and then like that becomes the most important thing in the story and in her world it's it's like fabulous world like not even world building but like a character study and how a character engages with the worlds around them and um i think if like when you were talking about um What's what's the book? Pen, Pensari? Piranesi. Uh, what is it? Piranesi. Piranesi. Sorry. Yes, I kept Close forgetting enough. until I read it. Also, <laughs> Piranesi. Like it sounds. It sounds like it could. I don't. I don't think based on what you said, it goes in the same direction. But it sounds like this could have also been kind of one of those like um, books that's kind of less about the plot and it's more about the way that the author is is kind of almost like they're doing like a creative like um exercise that turned into a book <laughs> of how can you tell this story that's not necessarily a story but it sounds like Piranesi has has an actual story to it this book has a story to it but it's not like the end game isn't the isn't the point of this book um and I just think that's so cool because I never think about it like when we started this conversation before we got on the call I was like sitting there thinking like, I guess I am into settings because like I predominantly like reading history and fantasy book like novels and I don't really read a lot of modern fiction. And those are settings technically, but it's, it's almost like the, the, the genres are genre settings. Should we have discussed this earlier in the conversation? I mean, genres aren't <laughs> exactly settings, but they're, they can involve setting, right? Like a, a space opera would, be usually involves that a genre yeah <laughs> or around space Could be yeah but you can have space. like science fiction doesn't necessarily have to involve space you right. know like so it depends on the specificity of the genre right yeah what about usm any last comments about how i was right to bring this up as a as a topic very <laughs> <laughs> right to bring it up uh, but i just i remember when i <laughs> when you said let's tie it into succus um, I was just reminded of like, yeah, cause I said that, you know, setting alone doesn't make the story, you know, like there's pretty much no way that you can just have a setting and like, that's compelling on its own. And that just made me think of like the saying of like, uh, standing in a synagogue, you know, att- attending a synagogue doesn't make you a Jew, um, any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. 
So <laughs> it's just like the actual, you know, uh, going to a sukkah is not necessarily, you know, going to be a meaningful or fulfilling experience on on its own. Um, but if you, you know, are trying to have a perspective on it that, you know, you can imbue with meaning for yourself, um, yeah, take a little bit of forethought and think about what the what the sukkah means to you, then you're probably more likely to get something out of it. Absolutely. How about you, Michal? Um, any last thoughts on this? You know, I think this is definitely something I'm continuing to think about because I, I am writing something at the moment that is technically historical, but I haven't chosen the historical setting yet. So this your book? Is this your novel? This is my novel. Tell us, tell us everything. <laughs> <laughs> Some other no, time okay. I don't you want don't people stealing my ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, but I mean, it's, it's funny because I, I was actually a little hung up on the idea that like, I have to know exactly when and where it's taking place, um, before I start. And then it kind of, that just kind of fell to the wayside a little bit. And now I'm, I'm paying for it in some degree and that like, there, there are certainly things that are going to influence the plot that I have no idea what they are yet because <laughs> so you're I don't you can know when or where this happens. And be like, it's on some kind of, you know, parallel earth or something and like you don't have to have a specific time period well the good thing about ashkenazi jewish history is that something bad is usually <laughs> happening and i can definitely just kind of generally be like bad stuff also sorry um, jewish history yeah right. jewish history jewish. this is true this is true uh, we don't discriminate between uh, terrible things that have happened in our history uh, i mean 100 I, I kind of assumed i don't know why i assumed this i assumed it was kind of like um uh like the spinning silver like always eastern european timeline <laughs> like where like there is not like the setting doesn't necessarily matter as much as like the the reader is meant to understand that jews have it rough in like an eastern european like place which kind this of is, kind of no so th that's true and that's what i'm that's what i'm working off of now although it theoretically will be real um, not not fantasy as um, I mean, or I mean it'll be a fantasy novel, but the setting won't be fantastical. Just call um, it Galicia, and then you get all of Eastern Europe. I know. I was thinking like I could have just picked like 1790s Galicia, my life would have been so much easier. Um, but no, I was like I have to do a podcast about the entirety of, of Ashkenazi history. Um, <laughs> just call the shtetl and leave it there. As long as you put them in the acknowledgments, it's oh yes. Oh, don't worry, don't worry. Uh, that I'm gonna save this for an obsession coming up, but um. Yeah, I, 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 I'm interested in, I guess, to, I guess to wrap up, I guess the, the confluence of, of Jewish setting and, and, you know, and, and Sukkis and all these things, um, is definitely present for me, um, because I really have been thinking a lot about what we perceive as like general, as like classic, automatically what you think of as Jewish history, which is usually, you know, Poland from you know, 1700s to 1930. Um, also and, the Holocaust. Exactly. Um, and I I would like to try and do something slightly outside those um, those boundaries. Like, I don't, I don't think people necessarily know that, like, Jewish men had to wear super weird hats, you know? And, like, uh, you know, there was, there was a, like, the Crusades are deeply linked with, you know, the basically perpetual depression of, of Jewish communities in um, Western and Eastern Europe. Um, and that Poland was like a great escape for people um, initially. So there's a lot of kind of factors about 
I guess, the idea of exile and the idea of diaspora that I, I would like to highlight um, in, a, in a way um, that maybe, I guess, uh, and, and don't get me wrong, it's totally legit to have, like, my book is set in Poland in 1850. You know, that's completely legit and a story worth telling. Um, but I feel like I would like to, especially since I'm already inserting fantasy elements, just make it a little bit more um, my own and, and unique in that way. There's a book on my shelf that has, you know, been, you know, staring at me for multiple years now <laughs> that I haven't gotten <laughs> up the courage to actually read because it's very long, but it's called The Weight of Ink. And it's, um, it has two narratives. One is present day and one uh, is in, I think, like the 15 or 1600s of the uh, Amsterdam Jewish community. And like, this is, there's the people in the present day are archaeologists or some kind, something of that. And like, they find papers and like, so the, the narratives intertwine. Um, and it's, there's a quote from Toni Morrison on the cover. So like, it's a serious book. <laughs> yeah, I've really heard that's an amazing to... book. And I... I really want to read it, but I just, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm sure lot. my book will probably, if it is ever published, will be compared um, poorly to, to that book. Because there are certainly oh, no, are no, similarities. No, no. I will say nice um, things. But... <laughs> I will say nice things. <laughs> also, uh... if your book is shorter, I will say... This book is better because it's shorter. <laughs> I cannot possibly imagine. I just, I just hit 10,000 words and I'm like, whoa, am I done? No, I'm not even close. Like, <laughs> not even close to being close to being close. Um, but oh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> stay tuned, I guess, for more random babbling about, about that in the future. Maybe we I'm can so talk excited. about our creative pursuits in, 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 another, in a future episode. Yeah, and then we can pretend that I'm still writing a novel, even though I haven't written it. The thing about writing a contemporary novel also is just that, like, the longer it takes you to write, the more the real-life contemporary timeline shifts. Yep. So, like, what the hell am I even writing anymore? I don't even have a sense of, of time for this story anymore, and, like, I don't know if it even if it even works anymore. I think it does because it's mostly, you know, psychological and very much grounded inside the characters and our society has not shifted so much that their internal conflicts are suddenly no longer relevant. But it's still, like, very daunting to be like, well, should I incorporate, you know, the Trump presidency in some way? Or should I just, like, not acknowledge politics at all? Right. <laughs> yeah. This is why it's great yes. to be a nonfiction writer because I actually have to deal with things that I don't have to make decisions about. <laughs> I mean, I do have to make decisions, but this sort of thing, it's like, this happened. This did not happen. This is happening. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap us up for this particular discussion, but thank you guys for humoring me and coming along on this particular journey. It was um, great. Thank you. I'm so glad. We uh, should do SL other, you know, like random you know, story elements that you learned about in school and be like, this is let's true. do a whole episode on... I don't know, conflict. <laughs> <laughs> the elements of story with nice Jewish fangirls. That'd be a great little, like, series. Mini-series, yeah. No, that actually would. And if you'd be interested in hearing something like that, definitely. Do we have a list? We should probably write that down somewhere. We did. <laughs> at one point. I do have a we spreadsheet a somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, Fantastic. I will leave that to one of you ladies to, to write I'll down. I'll try and find that spreadsheet because I have so many different Google Drives, I have to figure out which one it's in. Yeah, I've been there. Does anyone else have the Zoom thing where your Zoom calendar is not your actual calendar because you have two different emails or is that just me? 
Yes, yes. So annoying. Oh, yeah. I only use Zoom for work, so uh, yeah, I don't know. Oh, mine's mine are all on the same desktop, so it's frustrating. Yeah, mine is just tied into my uh my work calendar. The timeline has progressed past Zoom. Can we please just go back to Skype, like how we are using right now? <laughs> the other day, I asked someone if we could use Skype instead of Zoom because Zoom hates me a lot, and they were like, "I've never used Skype before," and I was just like. I don't understand. <laughs> oh, good for I you. Felt, I felt so old. <laughs> and I was like, you were not born in 2020. How are you? How do you have a job and not know how to use Skype? Anyway. Well, um, the the proliferation of Zoom use and um, the scorning of Skype will be a good historical detail to use in your setting uh, when you are writing about this accursed time that we are currently in. Which please never do. Just pretend it never happened and then it will just go away. That's agreed, how it agreed. works. <laughs> All right. uh, as I'm, where can people find you on the internet? Um, you can find me on uh, Facebook and follow my public posts, and you can also uh, try uh, my fiction, which I'm trying to remember if any of my fiction has any setting whatsoever. And like, no, <laughs> no, no, that's not true. That's not true. My my novel is very much grounded in setting because the characters are kidnapped on a school trip and taken to a mysterious house in the woods, and then divided up into combinations and forced to interact with each other in ways that they wouldn't have before. Um, do they yeah, have to kill each other, or is this no? Not they one don't of those? have to oh, kill okay. each other. It's not that. But they do discover that they are connected in ways that they didn't know before. And like, dun, dun, dun. I swear, I wrote this before Lost happened, but Lost stole my ideas. Anyway. The conversation <laughs> games by S.M. Rosenberg. <laughs> to be fair, Lost ended up killing itself, so it doesn't matter if Lost stole your idea because nobody thinks that Lost exists anymore. No, Lost is amazing, but. <laughs> <gasps> I I always tell people that like Lost is amazing through season five is the best and then just don't watch season six. But okay, obviously you will watch season six because season five ends on a massive cliffhanger and then you will obviously just go over the cliff. I probably would have been much happier if it just ended at season five. That's fair. I can live with that. Mm-hmm. You can just pretend it didn't happen after that. Um, but it did. Yeah, and it so, was so sad. Anyway, they the the novel is called Mistaken Identity um, and. Uh, all of everybody has secrets and their identities are not what they appear to be. Um, and I really like this story. <laughs> I really like that novel. Um, and I wrote it when I was 16 and I'm still pretty proud of it, even though the published version is not actually the uh, revised version. The published version is more of a rough draft. But anyhow, um, that is available on Amazon if you search my name or if you um, go to, I think, amazon.com slash author slash SM Rosenberg. Fantastic. And Tamar, how about you? Uh, you can find my work compiled at tamarherman.com. You can go buy my book, BTS Blood, Sudden Tears, wherever you like buying books from. If you want to leave Ooh. a five-star review for this podcast or the book, that would be great. Or just a review. It doesn't have to be five-star. A review just at all would be nice. A five-star review would be better and nicer if you enjoyed it. But only if you enjoyed it. I don't. If you want, you can leave one star review. If you that. didn't enjoy it, you can give it four stars. I mean, you can give it a one-star review, but that would just be so sad if you were a podcast. Very don't give it a one-star review. <laughs> just keep uh, your mouth shut. If you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything. Don't bring that energy into your life. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Tamar Writes. Um, and Shana Tova, everyone. It's so weird. Like, it's a new year! Yay. I know. I'm so excited. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs>
Um, as for me, you can find me on Twitter at Ink as Rain, uh, and uh, my writing around, I guess, sometimes, not really anymore. We'll see. Um, our uh, wonderful editor is Jamie Bloomberg. You can reach them on Twitter at Jamie underscore Bloomberg, and email them at jamievbloomberg at gmail.com, or visit their website at jamberg.me. Yes, I did read that out from our previous episode, so I wouldn't mess it up. Um, and as for us at Nice Jewish Fangirls, you can find us on Twitter at Jewish Fangirls. You can find us on Facebook. We're Nice Jewish Fangirls. You can email us at NiceJewishFangirls at gmail.com. And, of course, you can leave us a review, preferably, again, a five-star review, because uh, we would appreciate that um, on the old iTunes or wherever you catch your uh podcasts from although i gotta be honest i really only check itunes i don't know if anyone checks other feeds. i mean i haven't checked but someone just told me that they appreciated that our podcast is on soundcloud which i was oh great mm-hmm. fantastic mm-hmm. awesome yeah right. i know that we're also on podcast addict which is the app that i i used in the before times when i listened to podcasts <laughs> 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 now I have one podcast that I follow and I just listen to it in my browser because I'm home all day. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, yeah, as, as Tamara said, Shana Tova. We hope this year is a is a happy, healthy, wonderful, fandom-y, better one. And uh, yeah, live long and prosper, everyone. Marcha <laughs> Tima